you've got a friend in us. This is episode 30, Toy Story 2 from 1999. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us tonight, Mike, returning guest. Actually, have you been on, I don't know, I don't remember. Have you been on a Hanks for the Memories yet? No, it's my first one. But you've been on a cruise club, I think. I have. All the way back, you did Magnolia. And this is the second episode of the Tom Tom Club. But unless things go horribly wrong or, you know, we, we no longer become friends after tonight, uh, <laughs> like maybe you hate this movie and we can never talk again. I don't know. You'll also be on next week's Cruise Club episode of Valkyrie. This is a rare twofer back to back with us tonight to talk about Toy Story 2. We have John Brooks. Hello, John. Hello. How are you guys? Very well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us to talk about Toy Story 2, the first sequel for Pixar, the first sequel for Tom Hanks, the first sequel also of note, I guess, for Tim Allen. Oh, wow. Wait, my mind is being blown right now. Are you serious? I know. And another one of the examples of why 1999 might be the best year in movie history. Oh, my God. I'm, I have so much to think about already. Actually, so you have exclusively been on 1999 movies for us. I have. I've been thinking about doing a 1999 podcast ever since our last episode, just because I can't stop thinking about how About the Prince movie. album? Yeah, no. But so, yeah, so I forgot it was a 99 movie. I didn't know that Tom Hanks and Tim Allen had never done sequels before this and that's blowing my mind right now it's crazy to think that hanks was in so many huge high profile movies leading up to this and no sequels and tim allen i can understand but there's like 25 santa claus movies i was also almost expecting him to get cast in an actual western between toy story one and two or something like that but that still hasn't happened either but i think he'd be great in the old in the actual old west wasn't the first santa claus the same year as toy story one i think it was 95 yeah that sounds about right so you're saying santa claus 2 was a longer delayed sequel than toy story 2 was the santa claus 2 was 2002 oh my god 2002 then 2006 holy cow wow yeah. all right so i guess it was a little bit slower to the gate than toy story 2 but got there quicker than uh, toy story 3 so i'm i'm out guys i'm already i'm done I'm just like, <laughs> it's too much for one night already mike before we go any further can you please hit us with a plot summary what is toy story 2 about Absolutely. So uh, things are going pretty well for the toys since the last movie, and everyone's playing well together. And Andy is going to cowboy camp, but he's not taking Woody because he got damaged from being played too rough with. And at the same time, Mom is having a yard sale, and one of the older toys, the squeaky penguin toy, is getting sold. Wheezy. Wheezy the squeaky penguin. And so Woody mounts a rescue mission with the dog, and he manages to save him, but ends up getting mixed up with the other toys and things on the tables at the yard sale and is stolen by Big Al of Al's Toy Barn, who is a collector of rare toys as well as the owner of the toy store. And he now has the uh, entire set of Woody Roundup rare toys. Woody's going to be sold and shipped to Japan for lots of money, but Buzz and the other toys mount a rescue mission because that's what Woody did in the last movie for him. So he's paying it back and they go on a crazy, awesome adventure through the toy store, through the town, through the apartment complex. Lots of crazy things happen. Woody finds out that he is part of a much larger picture and he had his own TV show and all these products. And he's not sure if he wants to uh, go back to Andy's. But in the end, he ends up liberating some of the new toys he found and going back to Andy's with him and all is well until the next adventure. This movie is basically a series of heists and rescue missions from start to finish. And it's kind of perfect in that regard. Like it feels like they're hitting the same beats, but they're all different beats and they're all smartly set up. And man, oh man, what a good movie. John, let's start with you. This is the first Tom Hanks movie that you have signed up for, the first one that you have joined us for. What is your history with Tom Hanks? Do you have a favorite Tom Hanks 
movie. Is this up there? What do you think of this movie? Before we get into our, like, our favorite moments, just sort of high level, how do you feel about Tom Hanks and how do you feel specifically about Toy Story 2? So let's see. I saw Big uh, when it came out. I think I was seven or eight years old. That's, that's the first time I re- really remember seeing Tom Hanks. And so I was in sort of pretty early elementary school. And that was a, among my like, elementary school movies that everybody saw and talked about it was like that and then back to, and back to the future and home alone like those are the three that i really remember being sort of zeitgeist movies i definitely saw a lot of movies that i remember in the sort of mid to late 80s and that's the one that really the first movie that i really saw i think that i really remembered like beginning to end and really being transfixed by and the whole like everybody wanted to learn how to play heart and soul on the piano and then how to play it like while jumping around on a piano that you play with your feet and the whole notion of like a a floor piano was just like one of the most captivating things to me and my friends when we were little so yeah tom hanks came into my kind of micro generation in that movie in a really big and meaningful way and i been avoiding using the word big for this entire time. I've been trying to think of other words because I don't want to make puns, but that was huge. And then Joe Vish the Volcano, I think was the second Tom Hanks movie I saw and also kind of a cult classic that I really loved. And the whole like Meg Ryan Tom Hanks thing and Sleepless in Seattle when I was in probably early high school that came out. Yeah, so I I certainly like, I I think I was of a kind of um, age group that sort of caught Tom Hanks as we were kind of coming of age where he really caught on as a major major bankable star. Oh, I saw Turner and Hooch. That was probably actually before I saw Joe versus the Volcano. Okay. But I saw all of his movies and and he was really big with the tweeny boppers, I guess, whatever. And then, so, so for Forrest Gump is what ninety? That's ninety four, right? Yep, so yep. I saw Philadelphia when it came out, um, and, and Forrest Gump was a, obviously for teenagers of the time, a, also a big kind of generational movie. I remember getting into a lot of arguments about it when I was like fourteen because I was like, "It's a great movie," and then there's also like the film nerds who were like, "No, it's not," and 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 talking about all the better movies that came out that year and like, "How dare you think Forrest Gump's a good movie?" And I remember it being that sort of almost like the the training wheels of when you're when you go from that sort of like Hollywood sellout movie to like the, you know, independent film geeks and all that sort of thing. And and so I remember that being a real sort of touchstone in my um, my arguments with people. I love Forrest Gump. I'll defend Forrest Gump to the ends of the earth. I think people misunderstand Forrest Gump in a lot of ways. We had a real weird Forrest Gump episode. That was one where like our guest was someone who had never seen the movie before and he's our age. We were just like, oh, and like none of us really knew what to think of it because I, I saw it probably once. I didn't love it, but I also, I don't hate it. It's just like, it's a very weird thing that exists. So like it more so than any other Tom Hanks movie, maybe other, any other movie right. period just right. exists in different ways in everything. And it's a, such a unique case study that it, it's hard to compare, even talk about like, it just, it's, it's so itself that it's impossible to compare. I think to anything else. Yeah. I think a lot of people, especially sort of um, who come to it without really understanding the context of it, tend to see it as a movie that is a a historical drama comedy and they feel that it's too sort of rose-colored glasses look at Americana but I think they don't understand that that's exactly the point right like the whole point of Forrest Gump is not a genuine sort of historical epic about America it's a historical epic about the way America sees itself right like that's that's really what it's about right it's 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 a movie that's sort of almost in the way that Back to the Future did it's a movie that is an analysis of nostalgia 
as much as it is an indulgence in nostalgia, right? That's also, in, in a way, kind of what the first Toy Story is about. It's about the history, the old toys, the old ways of Woody, and the new ways of Buzz. It's the evolution of Americana, sort of. Absolutely. And and it's like, I, I'm a complete sucker for that. In, in our last episode of The Cider House Rules, I talked about that a lot. I'm a, compl- I'm a total sucker for Americana. And that's one of the things that John Lasseter is so, I mean, I, I know he's a controversial figure now, but his ability to sort of tap into to this kind of deep Western, and I don't mean that in the Western film sort of way, but like the Western American frontier, American spirit, right? Like, it's just incredible. And, and he does it in Cars as well, I think. And But in the first two Toy Story movies, it really stands out. And, that, and that's why, like, the overlap of that and Tom Hanks is so perfect at that time, because it just sort of strikes while the iron's hot, right, in the careers of both those people. And I think that this movie, and to sort of sum up kind of where we've been in Hanks and the Memories to this point, is that Mike and I, every episode, we're asking, does Tom Hanks do something in this movie that sets him on the path of becoming America's dad? And about four or five movies ago, like, you know, probably 25-ish movies into the run, 25 episodes into the run, we were like, oh, no, he's firmly America's dad. So, like, we are in Act 2 in a lot of ways. I mean, this is the second Toy Story movie. We're in, you know, this sort of secondary period. But, like, this is the established, like, this is, I think, in a lot of ways what you were saying, the build-up, the culmination. Like, this is now, we are in a new era that we are, like, firmly in that era. Like, even at the beginning of this, what we've been called the Golden Mile or the Green Mile, whatever we want to call it, like, this great run of movies that he's been in. Like, even within the last six years, he has gone from being a movie actor that everybody likes to like the biggest most bankable whatever however you want to describe him leading man in hollywood and it's it's it happened kind of in a hurry right mike Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it was sort of um, these movies that weren't exactly, like, hitting on all cylinders, and then suddenly, like, I think it was sort of around right after uh, Forrest, right? Uh, definitely since then, at least, but maybe a little before that, everything has just been what he wants to do, it seems, and he's really good at doing the things that he's been doing for the last few movies, and so it's great to see that he's, like, writing his own sort of trajectory now, and uh, I like his taste in movies, so, like, the projects that he's been doing lately are just, like, all really good things as well so he's just really smart when it comes to what he picks since he has free reign you know it's kind of easy to get like lost in those decisions and you know he must have a lot of good guidance because uh, he's making great decisions the only time i've ever had a really difficult time with tom hanks was saving private ryan and the reason for that was because tom hanks had created just a string of movies where he played these very much larger than life characters but there was also an emerging like Tom Hanksness about him where he was so larger than life that when Private Ryan in the middle of all of that was this very sober historical drama, I could never quite invest in it because it was just always Tom Hanks who was there. And I don't know if anybody else has ever expressed or, or experienced that same thing. But as much as I love that movie, he is the one thing that sort of holds me back because it was just the wrong role at the wrong time. And he's great in it, right? But it's he was so Tom Hanks by then that just plopping him into World War II weirdly didn't work for me. Well, I think that's something that we talk about both for better and worse in a lot of these movies that like there's a certain thing that's like a Tom Cruise movie, right? Like you go to a movie that's starring Tom Cruise and for the most part, you kind of know what to expect. There's going to be spectacular stunts. It's probably going to be an action movie. He's going to look cool. It's going to be this and that. He's not going to do it. Like there's certain things that you're able to have a shortcut, whether it's Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or Nicolas Cage or whoever, that casting them in that movie means that people are going to go see that movie for that actor, but they're also going to kind of know to a certain extent what to expect or what we've 
we've learned, especially at the end of each episode, when we say, like, could Tom Cruise play this role? Could Tom Hanks play the role in a Cruise Club movie? It's hard to imagine Tom Hanks in a lot of the Tom Cruise roles because he is so specific to a type. And I think, you know, I agree with you that he works in Saving Private Ryan, but it's not necessarily the kind of role that we have come to expect from him. Whereas with Tom Cruise, he kind of is playing a lot of movies that are similar, but it also feels like he's got a daringness to him that I feel like Tom Hanks does not sort of calculate in by design. I feel like you kind of know what to expect. I didn't have an issue with Saving Private Ryan, for instance, but I think there's something about like, you know what Tom Hanks is supposed to be when he's not. You're like, wait, but okay, like I'm I'm able to buy this because I know it's a movie and he's an actor, but like at the same time, it doesn't feel right. I think I might have even mentioned on the Private Ryan episode where I was like, it just feels like these are the these guys are bringing their own personalities to this movie instead of actually building characters. And I think part of that was what was so difficult for me to watch was like, I didn't want to see Hanks in peril. We haven't seen Hanks die. We didn't see Hanks shoot a gun. You know, all these things that I don't associate with Hanks. But I thought that was almost part of the filmmaking was like, okay, like he was a school teacher, right? So like he's sort of portraying a man that isn't supposed to really be there necessarily, quote unquote, right? He is not a soldier by trade or any of that kind of thing. And so I could definitely see it, you know, it has its pros and cons, right? I think I could see why it uh, may not necessarily work for some, but uh, for me, it did work on certain levels. Yeah, I, I think Private Ryan would have been a better movie with no-name actors. And I and, and, and I, I think the best performances in that movie were the ones by people who either were unknown or, or very minor niche actors at the time. Like, I mean, Tom Sizemore is probably a good example of that. Um, Vin Diesel's great in it. From what I remember, like Matt Damon was supposed to be this unknown nameless actor. And then it, he just had to go and make Goodwill Hunting, right? And he just kind of became this main thing. But like, it was the goal. I think it was the goal to have the one, like the captain you know, or whatever Tom Hanks this role is uh, as the name and then everybody else sort of be unknown adam goldberg and like jeremy davies and like all of them and 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 giovanni rubisi was nobody at that point too and like those performances really stand out to me but then it's like you know you throw ted danson in there and i'm like oh geez come on i know i know it's a very spielberg thing to do like spielberg does not anchor his movies with unknown actors for the most part and i, I certainly that movie was not going to get made without anchoring it to to some known actors and again i think objectively Tom Hanks is fantastic in that movie. It just is a very weird thing. It always has been. There's always been a disconnect with that movie for me because of sort of where Hanks was in his career when the movie was released. Um, and it's just a kind of a fluke of timing, I think. So now let's transition the conversation to this movie in particular, which this feels like the right time for a lot of different things. We're kind of getting a little bit of tonal whiplash, Mike, that last that last movie. I mean, a couple of movies ago, we had Private Ryan. And then the last movie we had, You've Got Mail. The next movie we have is Green Mile. Like he's all over the place, but it also feels like this this is kind of like a grounding point. Like, ah, uh, yes, we are home. We have Sheriff Woody. This is where we're meant to be. A bit of a palate cleanser, if you will, between all of these different tones, of course. Yeah. So, John, what do you think about this movie? I'm assuming that you love it because you signed up for it. I also have a question for you. I want to know what you think of it, but also your three daughters. Have you shown this movie? Have you shown any of the Toy Story movies to them? And do they like these movies? I took my twins to see Toy Story 4 in the theater this summer. And by the end of it, they were sitting on my lap wondering why, like, daddy was weeping his eyes out. <laughs> I was uncontrollably sobbing at the end of that movie. And they're like, what's wrong, Daddy? It's like toys. And they're hugging each other. And I'm like, what's that? So, yeah, it was that was a fun experience. Yeah, they've seen all the shorts because we have Disney Plus. They've seen all the shorts. And they like the, um, they love the Forky asks a question or whatever. Forky asks a question. <laughs> and yeah, they've seen, we've watched all of the movies. So they're, they're very familiar with it. They're not 
as invested in the movies emotionally yet. They like the characters, they like all the shorts, but they certainly don't quite grasp the emotional resonance of it just yet. Toy Story 2 is still my favorite Pixar movie. I don't think anything's ever going to top it. It's kind of, I mean, it's good actually because Pixar keeps making great movies and I keep really liking Pixar movies. It's almost good that, what was, this is their third theatrical release, right? It was Toy Story, Bugs Life, Toy Story 2, right? So it's almost nice that this early on that they they had what I think is the uh, just their absolute peak. Everything about it is so perfect that I just every other Pixar movie I watch, I'm sort of like, oh, that was almost as good as Toy Story two, and I'm very delighted that, that you know anything could even even sort of come close to it. And I feel like that in my view, they either sort of hit the mark of roughly Toy Story one or come really close to Toy Story two, and basically every Pixar movie has been somewhere in that arc with the exception of the dinosaur one. Oh, and maybe like the car sequels which are also fine and i'm mean, yeah like those are good movies for much younger kids and fine they, they don't have the punch that the other movies have but like cars 2 is a far better movie than the majority of animated movies that like are released in theaters every year yeah it's just hard to stack up to other pixar movies yeah absolutely i think cars 1 is incredibly underrated i think it's a much better movie than people remember it being or, or think that it is and again it's part of it is because john lasseter's sort of western americana touch uh, is just wonderful in that movie but yeah toy story 2 is just as close to perfect i think as a movie can get so now i don't want to make this a real sophie's choice for you but if you had to pick a favorite moment or character or scene in this movie what is your favorite part of toy story 2 if you want me to be completely honest like the part that just like gets me crying it's the jesse song jesse's song of, yeah. of course it is yeah. i mean like yeah, yeah. I, like makes grown men weep yeah where it comes into the into the narrative just the whole like randy newman sarah mclaughlin mix <laughs> it's just it's you know of course yeah it's it's absolutely crushing and and you can tell everybody involved with making that scene had the distinct objective of making every human on earth who would ever watch it ball their eyes out and it's almost manipulative in the way that it goes about doing it almost what do you mean this is like pixar's this is like their secret weapon they do this again in the opening of up like this they are perfect with them with the montage up yeah the opening of up is like it's a close rival to this for sure as is the the very last scene of Monsters Inc. Like it, there's there's a few of them that are obviously engineered <laughs> to, to produce the sobs. This one is is over the top in its uh, aggressively sentimental heartstring tugging. There's a couple of bits of trivia about how Tom Hanks and Tim Allen sat down together to watch this scene, or I guess just to sort of take in whether it's a song or the scene or the animations. Like I don't know at what stage it was, and they just both broke down in tears because of course they would. But like I can just see the two of them like in the two of the biggest movie stars of the 90s just these two grown men you know 35 40 years old whatever and just like oh God. <laughs> it's devastating like it's beautifully it's perfect and just it's a series of sucker punch gut punch of just jesse's like hopefulness and then just utter devastation it is who boy yeah, I also really like the the sort of clever I, I think Toy Story 2 really accelerates some of the ideas of Toy Story 1 that they couldn't quite just didn't have the the cachet to pull off yet. And a lot of the clever sort of meta jokes in it I think are great. Like when they're when they're in the actual toy store and there's like 
the whole like rows of Buzz Lightyears everywhere, and the whole like thing with the the Buzz Lightyear video game in the beginning, right? And like that's how the movie starts. The the gags within gags element of Toy Story three I think is really clever, and because they had more, I think, artistic freedom, both in terms of the technology and also just having had two big successes in a row, I think opened them up for a lot more of that. Yeah, of course you see that a lot in the in the, the, the outtakes reels as well, right? It's the same sort of humor, but but a lot of the sort of, I think, trademark Pixar humor of the kind of in-jokes is really well done. In the- Plus there's a Buzz Lightyear erection joke at the end when like he's like in yes. love with Jesse. Like, <laughs> oh boy, like that is something that I'm sure kids don't pick up on. But like, you know, his wings go up it, with the sound effect. It's like the doing... <laughs> And that's the thing is that it's so clever because it's completely plausibly deniable that it's not an erection joke, right? Because like his wings fly up, like it's almost like you know, it's like anybody can relate to you know that awkward thing that happens when you you, you see someone you like. But of course, that's what it is. But <laughs> that's why it's so good is that everybody knows what's really happening if you know. But it's also like it's not lame and offend like you know like an inappropriate in a kids movie because it's so well designed right that it's like it works for every audience and you know that's the sort of thing that i think makes the 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 pixar crew so genius like that they are so able to both have a great sense of humor and humanity but also are so respectful of the children who are watching it both in not talking down to them but also respecting their sort of emotional state which i which i think is amazing mike what about you what is your favorite part favorite moment favorite favorite new character however you want to answer this favorite parts about toy story 2 Jeez, it, it is tough because i pretty much love like this entire movie uh like when we get to what we don't like about it like that is there's like a very very small 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 thing i have to like you know scratch very very long at to get to finally to not like about this movie but i mean i love so much about it i love so many of the sequences gee i don't know you know i love all the stuff in the toy store it's really funny like you were saying with the jokes how they're like retailers didn't expect it to be a big hit so they didn't order enough toys and now there's like an entire aisle of buzz light years for toy story 2 all ready to go and i love how you know mattel didn't want to play ball last movie with barbie and so now they're like we'll do anything it's like okay we'll have like beach blanket barbie and they like completely sort of like bimbo her out a little bit in this movie i don't know if that was sort of a jab but she gets sort of redemption in the next movie being like a a full character and everything but i think ultimately my favorite parts are when woody first discovers that he was like part of a tv show Mm -hmm. like that whole sort of waking up from the matrix moment almost like this whole other level to his existence he was never even sort of aware of and then there's like all these products built after him and he's got the whole tv show and like eventually sort of like the uh, Howdy Doody kind of thing. And his theme song is like the Toy Story score with words put to it and everything. Like, I just love the way they built out his backstory. It builds out like the whole Toy Story world more. It's just incorporating that was genius. And it goes another level deeper from, it like sort of introduces the whole nostalgia like sort of level to all of this now it's like toys can be collector's items and you can be an adult and have sort of an affinity for a toy still and uh you know all the different meanings to different people and i just think it's great it just opens up a whole other avenue of thinking collecting and ebay nowadays and rare not just toys but like whatever is out of print but you see like american pickers could totally find like a woody style toy on their show so i just like that it like really built out the realism and built out 
the world at the same time. And yeah, I just always loved that when he finds Bullseye, Jesse, and Stinky Pete, and they become like a whole set again. Just great. To your point, Mike, one of the things I really think that people don't notice about this movie or sort of miss, I'm not sure they ever thought they would do a three or four. Every Toy Story movie seems to kind of end absolutely conclusively as though there's <laughs> there can't possibly be another chapter. Who knows if there'll be a Toy Story 5? I, I, I kind of hope not, but I said that in a Toy Story 3 as well. But one of the things I think is really cool about this is that it's the inverse of the original plot. So like Woody goes into his existential crisis realizing that he's more than he thought he was. And, and in the first movie, it's Buzz being talked out of that, right? So like Buzz thinks he's from this other world then realizes he's just a toy. Toy Story 2 plays that backwards. It's, it's Woody thinks he's just a toy and then finds out he's part of a bigger world. Even to the point where like Buzz to Woody says the line, like the famous line that Woody says to Buzz in the first one, you are a toy. That's great. I was too involved. I didn't pick up on that. Of all the other things, of all the other nods that um, that I get throughout the entire series, you know, I feel like they recall a lot of stuff uh, very, very well and twist it around. But that's great. That just adds a whole other dimension. I mean, if I could put a sixth star on Letterboxd, I would just go do that right now. You know, I think as someone who's not a huge Tim Allen fan, and I don't particularly love Buzz Lightyear, I think one of my favorite parts of this movie is the growth of Buzz Lightyear. I think both as a character and as what they're able to do with him, I think that, you know, in the first movie, you know, what you were saying and what John is building on in terms of like him coming to terms as a character, as a toy, knowing his limitations, knowing what he can and can't do. I think his ability in this movie to be aware and sort of, it's amazing to me to see him side by side with like a, an unwoke sort of Buzz Lightyear because he's so much more well-grounded. He's so much more balanced. He's normal as opposed to like, you almost forget how much of a lunatic he is in the first one until you see one fresh out of the package here. You're like, oh, right, no, he's insane. And then here you have the sort of grounded, realistic, I know what the world is like Buzz Lightyear meeting up with you know, whatever other Buzz Lightyear. And it's like, oh, like he has come such a long way and like he's so, he's so much more nuanced and such a more interesting character. And that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like I'm not a huge Buzz like I, you know, I think we're supposed to be like grounded in Woody for all four movies, but like Buzz is so good in this sort of kind of unexpectedly. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Woody is, a, is allowed to be a much more of a kind of emo character. Like Woody is allowed to have much more of the sort of peaks and valleys uh, emotionally, which is great. And I think, I think Woody is a much more compelling character character but yeah i think when once they realize that you know you can almost see the writers kind of figuring this out that once buzz lightyear becomes a grounded character the stoicism of the buzz lightyear character the heroism right the sort of take charge leadership then sort of morphs into this character who does keep everybody rounded up so to speak right does keep them all in check and that's what he's really good at and you know yeah it turns out that like everybody around him is actually kind of insane what he's crazy and and jesse's crazy and he after realizing that he's not actually a space cadet star commander he is the one who is the most sane of all of them and you know i think tim allen is great at playing that that he's got that sort of, there's something about his whole shtick and his whole personality where he plays that, you know, the dad figure really, really well. It's like it's like his home improvement character. That's just where he kind of finds his humor. And and the idea of this guy dressed up in this like spacesuit being the, like the most level-headed one of yeah. all of them, mm-hmm. it's great. Like that in and of itself is good comedy. And, you know, it works even better than him as a, 
as a sort of action figure. There is one other moment that I want to point out as one of my favorite moments in the movie, and it's, it's only my favorite because of what it's going to lead to, essentially, in the fourth one. But I had a real kind of a mind-blowing moment here. At the very end of this movie, after you know all the, the, the Roundup crew was back, they all come to Andy, which I think instead of doing our least favorite moment, because I don't want to nitpick this movie because, you know, there's it's just about perfect. I'd rather do some, like, existential questions of, like, let's get into, like, like think about this movie in ways that we should not. But we're going to get into that in a second. But, like, one of those kind of things is how Andy suddenly has new toys. He has an Etch-A-Sketch drawing that is like immaculately rendered like welcome home andy like either he does not speak to his mom or his mom is just like used to like ignoring andy because like if any of them ask any questions the jig is up because like this is insane but anyway when they come back at the end and you know bullseye and jesse are there with woody and woody gets you know andy patches woody and woody goes over to bo peep and he's you know showing her his new stitches and she says oh i like your mended arm it looks so tough and then we're gonna see in four that she's got the mark of like the badge of honor, the badge of courage, like her broken arm too. And I was just like, oh my God, like she's admiring sort of her future self is going to be like, this is like, I've been through this before, you know, like I've seen this before, yeah. you know, it, maybe that gave her the strength, like, oh, Woody could come back from it. I can come back from it too. Yeah. Toys can be fixed. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And like, I'm badass enough to do it myself. They had 20 years to, <laughs> to comb through every detail of these movies yeah it's essentially like the opposite mike of like what we talk about on too fast too forever like when you join and whatever it's just like oh these writers don't rewatch the movies like there's so many times that there could be a line where it's like oh this could reference that or this could mm. be that or whatever and it's like nope just didn't do it and here whether or not that's intentional it could be like oh look back at two this is the same thing oh it's definitely intentional i mean this is a, a studio that is obsessive about it's like world building and throwing easter eggs into things and like, you know, in a way that almost nobody can ever even catch them all, right? Like, I'm 100% certain that that was entirely intentional. I haven't noticed it, but like, I'm sure you're right. I'm, I'm still not convinced Stinky Pete, we haven't seen the last of Stinky Pete. Like, oh, I, I, I thought that like he fell in a trash compactor or off the airplane or something, but he just goes away with a, with another person. So that's like, true. he can find that's his true. way back one day to Woody, maybe they cross paths, I don't know. So one of the grand theories, not about Stinky Pete, but about sort of the interconnection connectedness of all things is that there's a theory that Andy's mom was Jesse's original owner. I've done more research into that than I care to admit. And where do you come out? Do you do you side with that pro or con? I like it. I like the idea. And I think it's deliberate that you are allowed to draw that conclusion if you want to, right? But it seems to me that the writers themselves refute it and, and okay. say like, no, that was never intentional. And there, I can't remember exactly what the what the sort of giveaways are, but I, I guess there's a, there's a couple of things that make it impossible that say like, no, this is not, not what they were intending. Yeah, I did not go too far down the rabbit hole if we're going to continue the Matrix and the uh, the rabbit and the red pill, blue pill sort of mythology, the metaphor here. I did not go too far down the rabbit hole, but it just seems like the, the points in its favor that like age-wise, it kind of makes sense and the hat that Andy has, which might have been a hand-me-down, is kind of like Jesse's hat, but also could just be like a cowgirl, cowboy hat. Like, it just, there's a lot of things where it's like, eh, it could be. And also, sure, it could be, but it doesn't seem, based on the, the little bit of IMDb trivia that I said or anything that, like, you know, that I saw in this movie, that it's like, oh, look, like, wink, wink, can't you tell? Because also, all you need is, like, the mom to be like, oh, Jesse, I had one of those when I was a girl. Or even know that Woody comes with a Jesse or something. Like, we got to get you a bullseye. Like, she would know. 
So there's also, I think the 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 hat. If I remember this right, there's a sequence or a, um, a scene in the in the Jesse's song sequence where you see the hat under the under her bed, like exact same hat that Andy has, and the wallpaper I think is the same. So there's like some weird clues. I think the better reading is that it's more of a you know the universality of this experience for you know kids with their toys and having to like reach that moment where they give them up and that sort of existential crisis thing and it's not really meant to be literally his mother but so much as a history repeating itself kind of recurring theme um, idea but you know I like it either way. I feel like some of those items might just be that they didn't have enough time to do new models of stuff so it's like we have a hat we have like a, a toy like throw it under the bed too and stuff but I, I mean I wouldn't hate that idea, like if there was more credence to it, because it would sort of put more importance onto why, you know, she encourages Andy to play so much because she kind of gave up that childhood sort of thing. So I understand why, like, you know, you could grasp at those straws for a few hours and like have a fun conversation about that. Here's my first sort of existential question. So we know that Woody knows that he's a toy. Like that's the establishment of the first movie. He's trying to say to Buzz, like, look, I'm a toy. We're a toy. We're all toys. It's not a bad thing. It's just what we are. Then in this movie, he sees Woody's roundup and he sees Woody on TV. Does he think that's him? Does he think that's just another Woody? Or is that like, this is our collective history, our meaning all of the Woodies? Because I think if we're to believe, based on Al's reaction, that there are not very many Woody toys left. That seems like they were very popular, say, 30, 40 years ago. There's not that many of them left, which also is all the more reason, like, collectors probably freaking out that, like, why is Andy just, like, running around with this, like, toy that's worth all sorts of money? But anyway, I digress. But does Woody think that when he sees Woody's roundup, the black and white TV footage from the 50s or whatever does he think that that's literally himself does he know that he it's just another version of himself or is he just so excited that like he knows his now his character his backstory like how does he this one doll relate to what he sees on tv like what are the mind what's the mindset going through his head right there keeping in mind that we don't have answers like we don't need to have answers i took it as it was almost like buzz lightyear watching a cartoon of himself now that he is aware that he's a toy where it's like okay i know that's not me but it's a representation of me or i'm a representation of that as well and we're all part of this idea of what woody is so i didn't necessarily think that he thought like oh that's literally me the same me that's sitting in this room right now i never really got that from it i i had um other questions sort of about like why didn't his yo-yo talk or things like that were sort of freaking me out a little bit more than like <laughs> Does yeah. he know that uh, TV isn't real kind of things? But it's still valid, and I still like the, the question. But I do not think that he thinks that that is actually him on TV. And similarly, and John, I want to sort of get your take on all of this. Again, no right or wrong answer here. When Woody shows up and Jesse and Bullseye and Sticky Pete are all so excited, were they waiting for this Woody or just a Woody? Like, would they have reacted the same yeah. if a Woody that we didn't know showed up? And I would assume yes, but it's like, oh, we were waiting for you, but the yeah. you could be one of like 10 or 15 Woodies that still exist. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, all Woodies are basically the same, right? I mean, they're all like manufactured in an assembly line. So I would imagine if there's another Woody out there somewhere and like his story somehow 
wound up that Al stole him, like the reaction would be the same from that stinky pee. And that just, this is a very strange metaphysical conversation we're having here, but that's what happens when you have a movie to, about talking toys. So here, and then another question that I have is when Buzz gets switched for the Buzz out of the package, the other yeah. toys don't realize? How are they that <laughs> oblivious that like, I understand, but I also don't understand. My whole problem was more or less like, when are you even sentient? Like, uh, I thought you had to come out of the box to start talking. And then by that case, Stinky Pete shouldn't be alive at all because he's in box like new. So I'm not prepared to answer that question yet, Joey. <laughs> I think you're sentient whenever nobody's looking, even boxed or unboxed. I don't think that plays a role. So my understanding, and this is like to sort of both your original point, Joey, and, and also this question is, is that the toys kind of forge their own reality right and yeah they only know one buzz they only hang out with one buzz and so if some person who looked just like a guy that you know showed up wearing the same clothes that he always wears and acted slightly different like your first reaction would not be like oh you must be a different version of that person and that's sort of the world they're living in so like yeah they are definitely it's almost like this weird compartmentalizing that the toys are doing where they're like they know their toys and they know there's replicas of them but they're also insistent that they are themselves and individuals and it's it's weird and kind of philosophically interesting and cool but i'm pretty sure that's the answer to like why they don't recognize the different buzz i guess it's more terrifying then that like they live in a world in which like clones could basically exist oh if andy had like two of the same toy right like or like hey, you know the yeah. combat carls and stuff like if they're dressed the same like they're differentiated because they're in different outfits or whatever but like all the army men like it feels like there's such a, an opportunity to like switch from one to the other like it just it's a scary proposition you know what toy really figured it out was barbie in the end right yeah Where, you know, <laughs> talk about compartmentalizing right it's like everyone does one one certain thing, you know? <laughs> so she she's on point when it comes down to it. So, so now I have another question. Apparently dogs speak toy English? Because, like, Woody and the dog are, like, pals. And, like, the dog, like, listens. Like, he, like, I understand, like, why. And, again, this is all just for fun, just going way in depth, way too deep on things that don't necessarily need answers. Like, I understand why you can reveal yourself to a dog because the dog can't rat on you essentially but the fact that like there's a nice joke that you know woody is able to get the dog to do certain things like reach for the sky and he comes and he can't do it he's like oh i gotta keep working on that but like the interactions here between dog and toys is fascinating to me too yeah so the way i picture it is that they hide from humans intentionally for whatever reason but they can still show themselves like they did at the end of part one to the next door neighbor kid right like they scared the hell out of him by walking around and stuff so i just figured the dog assumes that toy Toys are no different than humans. Like, oh yeah, toys just walk and talk and and say things. They're just like my master. It's like whatever. Like that's a dog's life. And then, so that's the way I took it. It's just like whatever the toys reveal themselves to, they just understand them as if they were people. I, I also I want to get back to like the first thing you were talking about, Joey, because I think this is a really like this is one of the reasons why I love. I'll, it's never going to happen. Maybe they'll do like a short version of it or whatever, but I, I would love a, a Toy Story prequel where like our Woody first becomes kind of sentient and separate from his source material. Because you would assume that at some point, like he went through the same thing Buzz went through, right? We're like, at some point in his life, he knew he was a product from Woody's Roundup and that he was just a toy that tied in with that show. And at some point, he figured it out. And it almost seems like there's a, 
like I don't know what the what the psychological term is, but when you like detach yourself from a memory that like when you separate from from some kind of like disassociation, yeah, like some from some past trauma, or that like when you've been brainwashed and you're like deprogrammed, right? Like it's sort of almost the Woody's been through that, and it happened such a long time ago that when the time when it, when Buzz shows up, you know, and it's going through it all again, he's sort of like rolling his eyes and like Buzz is so stoic that he like refuses to let his identity go and that's why it's so funny but at some point obviously like Woody must have had the experience of realizing he's not a real cowboy and like not from this you know frontier land or whatever uh, and I'd love to see that play out because that's one of the questions I've always kind of had and I, and so to your question about like what is he experiencing when he sees himself on TV I always took it more as like a repressed memory that like he knows it's like he's he's re-realizing that the reality that he has created for himself is just as sort of manufactured as the one that he's trying to get Buzz to accept in the first Toy Story, right? So like Buzz is is between those two worlds and like he has been just denying his own real existence this whole time until he sees it in front of him and then it's it sort of, it, he can't, avoid it anymore and that's why you have to choose in this movie between like which one he wants does he want the one he's created or the one that he was designed for in the first place and you know that's what he chooses now that leads me to a very interesting question like you know how when for instance like a say a new star wars movie comes out right and bb-8 is adorable and people are like oh my god i love bb-8 and so things work a little bit differently they sort of make toys in advance now or whatever but like say back in the day like bb-8 is this smash hit baby yoda Baby Yoda, for instance, exactly, whatever. And they become this breakout hit, and then there's like all these lines, like all these toys and products and plushes and whatever that get produced because people love the character. Like, what if in this world of Toy Story, like, John, you're talking about like repressed memories and going back and sort of the history of the Woody character. What if on the Woody's Roundup show, they had just made a doll for the show, the show becomes a big hit, they want to manufacture the doll, and then somehow, magically or otherwise, in the manufacturing of the doll, they embed those memories into the doll so that every Woody remembers him being on Woody's Roundup even though oh, he's just a replica of what was just like a one of a kind you know <laughs> the prototype for the figure now it's like Westworld. Yeah, and now it's like that's like Isaac Asimov stuff now. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, that's not crazy to think, right? Like, if no, I mean, I mean, let me say, it's absolutely crazy to think, but it's also not crazy to think. That seems to be what Buzz goes through, though, right? Like that he thinks he's just part of this continuum of like he's he's a he's a toy from this show or this this idea. And we see that with the new Buzz too. So it's almost like the next Buzz out of the box is going to be just like that as well. And it's until they sort of like break it with that false reality and then they can form their true personality is how the way I sort of felt about it. So like all Woodies are alike until the breaking point and then they, you know, based on the experiences with their owners, they develop their own personalities and things so that if Woody was to run into like another very old Woody, they, they would probably be quite different from each other. Man, oh man. Are we ever going to see a second Woody? That, that's the real question. Probably not. I don't think so. Well, in so. the prequel, I love this sort of concept because like I, I like what John was saying too about Woody's like repressed memories and his denial and all this kind of stuff as well because he thinks Andy or he at least considers Andy his owner but like I'm not sure Andy was not given Woody from his father or something oh, like yeah. it's a hand-me-down oh, sure. toy right yeah 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 so there's something something major went down with Woody for sure in the past that 
like contributes to his neurosis now and needing to sort of be a leader and not get sort of lost and all these kinds of things. So there is still sort of fertile ground. What if there's sort of like, again, to bring up your Westworld analogy, like what if when a kid writes the name on the foot that like it sort of erases, like you sort of create two paths of memory, that there's the one path of memory, (laughs) which is all like him with the dad and then there's this new path of memory that's like stronger but it's not completely erasing so you're having these fragments actually there is a great uh, sci-fi book that came out i think last year two years ago called recursion by blake crouch where it's kind of about this like about time travel and stuff it's fascinating just check that out if you're into that where you have two paths and so like or multiple paths like maybe it's a hand-me-down from the grandfather is there a the philosophy of toy story books if not like you should write one i'm sure there's gotta be there's gotta be because there's a philosophy of everything book but like he's he's so neurotic because he's because he's been a hand-me-down because he has three lifetimes full of memories where like the memory that he has now that he's most firmly rooted in is andy's toy but still somewhere in his toy brain he's got two entire paths or to go to the bloopers at the end where this Woody is just an actor in a movie. Like, it just, like, how does that factor in? That's taking it too far. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> before we go any further, anything else that you want to talk about? Any other scenes that you want to talk about before we play a couple of games and nominate this for some awards? I love the way that the, the Woody's Roundup stuff is done. I love the, I love the vintage, like, lunch boxes and all that stuff. I just love the way that the movie world builds in such an organic and interesting way, right? And like the way that it sort of expands the whole idea of Buzz Lightyear from being a toy to like kind of showing his arch nemesis and like that whole thing, right? With the video game and 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 the way that it gives Woody so much more context. And, you know, Kelsey Grammer's a lunatic, but like he's great is a great voice actor and and it's so good and like Joan Cusack is so good and it's yeah man what a movie it's it's wonderful yeah I think they did a great job with all the new characters uh, we even get Mrs. Potato Head that is a great little addition the animation is definitely a step up from the last time even though you know we were talking about last time like it only looks crude because it's so long ago and right. it still looked good for the time it was amazing and it still passed the test there's not there's, there's nothing to point out here there's nothing bad here absolutely no, this is this is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you like just watch Toy Story Four, you would think this this is like the caliber of stuff just coming out mm-hmm. today. You know, it, mm-hmm. Pixar is just so ahead of the game all the time. It's amazing. And um, you know, finally, like it's just it's also manages to be funny as hell. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Like it's suspenseful. It's got great action. Lots of one of my favorite jokes is like, I mean, yes, it's sort of a callback to like. Buzz Lightyear thinking he can fly, but that whole elevator sequence when they're trying to climb up. I mean, I just love a good elevator strap sequence in any movie, really. So, like, it's just great, you know, just great all around. And I think we'd be remiss to point out that, like, this this was going to be a direct-to-video movie. Like, it wasn't even supposed to be in the theaters. Really? Like, and this is... Oh, yeah, you didn't oh, know that? That's right. I remember hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was going to be, like, Pixar was just not keen on doing sequels, and they really didn't know how it was going to go. And, like, I think it was... They were planning it before Bugs Life even came out. And, like, so while Toy Story 1 was a runaway hit like nobody thought it could be replicated and so they were like well we'll do it we'll do a sequel and we'll just like make it straight to video and that was the plan for i think until like six months before the movie came out that they realized like well actually this is really amazing so let's just like let's just have it in theaters but yeah that was that was the plan and 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 i i still think they're a little i think disney especially was a little still kind of dragging their feet on the whole 3d animation 
animation thing and, and wanted to find a sort of a niche for it in the home video market. But yeah, that was the idea. It's going to be a direct-to-video movie. I don't know if either of you heard this, but there's a couple of bits of trivia about how like some animator or some staffer or something accidentally deleted this entire movie. Did you hear about this? Did you read about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there was like some like, very simple line of code that like they entered and it wiped out. Like they said, like if they had everybody work 24 hours a day, it would take like six months to recreate what was lost. And they like thought they could salvage it and they could and they kept looking to these different places. And they eventually realized that someone had taken a computer home on like a different network that wasn't backed up or something, wasn't like shared or however it was all saved back then. And like it was all on this one computer. But like, this movie almost never was because I don't know how far they were. They were far into the movie and some someone just typed the wrong line in and basically it deleted everything and so i can't imagine the panic i mean i guess depending on like if it was just gonna be a straight to home video thing maybe it's not as bad but it's still like what this movie turned out to be like if, if we had never known like it just the world would have been a worse place yeah fire that guy and give the other dude who had the computer at his house a big big raise <laughs> that's what you do in that situation and then you just count your blessings i think part of the reason too for the direct video thing is that at this i don't know if you guys remember this but disney was in this sort of experience Experiment where they were taking a bunch of their high-profile movies and making direct-to-video sequels, like the the animated, like Lion King one and a half. Yeah, and like Aladdin, Return of Jafar, and like the Little Mermaid two. They didn't really do sequels of their animated movies as a general rule, and they kind of still don't, and unless they have no choice, like Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen, and like right, like clearly you need to make a sequel, right? Because you're making gajillions of dollars off of these movies. But yeah, that was that was you know that it was not a thing for them to to produce sequels to their sort of prestige animated hits and so i think toy story 2 is also just kind of part of that line like they were they were just you know gonna that was just what you did with the disney sequel was was dump it to video yeah i don't know Should i look it up i i, I just i remember that being I, like i don't know why they made the change exactly or like what convinced them to change it but that certainly was the plan the only difference is the marketing budget right because if you're going to make this movie like depending on how far and it's not like you could really save a lot of this work for too long because it takes years to render and stuff like that right like i guess it really just has to come down to like you're seeing what's there and it's like oh this is good like we should market this we should put this out like we should change the plan we're going to have yeah, but maybe what you can do by making it theatrical is get Tom Hanks back instead of his brother to do the voice. You know what I mean? And instead of Tim Allen, you get like Ted Allen or whoever. Right? Like, <laughs> Steve Allen. Spend the extra yeah. money, do the extra. Yeah, Steve Allen. Get the extra polish, get Randy Newman back, get Sarah McLaughlin, afford Kelsey Grammer. And they probably just realized they had a great movie on their hands and like, shit, like we ended up writing something like that's actually better than home video deserves. And better than the first one, yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, why not go for it? And I'm glad they did. A couple little bits of trivia, and then we can play some games. Number one, Jesse was originally going to be a cactus called Senorita Cactus. It was later <laughs> decided to be a cowgirl. Holy shit. I don't know if that's real or not. I think it's real, but like, can you imagine? That's definitely real. That's insane. Uh, oh my god. This won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. It was either like the first or the second animated movie, I think, maybe the first, to ever win the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. Like, this is, you know, it was pretty good. The only Oscar it was nominated for was the Best Original Song, When She Loved Me, the Jesse song. And the only other note was that a couple weeks ago, Best Buy had a sale. This is not trivia. I'm leading up to the trivia, but I got all three, the first three Toy Story movies on 4K in a steelbook for $30 total. Like they had this like crazy, like way cheap, and they had buy two, get one free. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But what I learned 
through the trivia is that since I think 2015 or so, every release that's come out, they have cut from the bloopers at the end the Stinky Pete blooper with the Barbie dolls. Oh, yeah. He says, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> that'll do yeah. girls, you can get out of here or whatever, because because of John Lasseter, because of how he got Me Too and was, you know, forced to retire from Pixar. They have gone back and retroactively cut out what was essentially like a casting couch gag, I guess, or just like a, you know, Stinky Pete having sex with these Barbies. But that's not, like, I read that and I was like, yeah, it's not here. They're still, they don't cut other things Stinky Pete out. Like, the character's not the issue. Just that one implication, they're just like, it's better to be without, which is kind of, not like, I get it, but also I'm not crazy about that, you know? I wonder what copy I have. It's, I wonder... The copy I bought from you in a dark parking lot one night, Joey. I wonder if I that, think that's I fine. If... I think you're fine. Because it says like everything, like the last one that was included on was 2015. Oh, okay. It was way before that. Yeah. So I'm not, but yeah, it's, it's just like a, oh, huh. There. Okay. I think we asked this question. I don't remember what we said. Could Tom Cruise play the role of Sheriff Woody? Or if not, what role could he play? I think maybe last time, like we might've settled on Buzz, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so, he, could, yeah. he could also very easily, I could see him as Stinky Pete. He looks Newman, the Newman character of, of mm. Al from Al's Toy Barn. He reminds me a little of his character's look from Tropic Thunder. Yeah. So like <laughs> maybe just sort of put him in there as this psycho sort of toy collector. He also, it's it's not a huge part, but I, he, I, I could see him as a Lord, Emperor Zerg. Oh, that'd yeah, be funny as just like a very small voice cameo. But yeah, but John, do you think do you think can you see any world in which Tom Cruise plays Sheriff Woody? No. Uh I, I certainly could see him as a Buzz Lightyear. I could also I mean, not, you know, it's his Toy Story Four, but but you know, if anybody else aside from Keanu was do Kaboom, then it would have to be Tom Cruise. Yeah, we will get there in a handful of movies. I know, you know, they go pretty far. They go as far as they can, but if they were going through the toy store, you know, maybe if they do make another one, they could get the license to probably they could probably get the license to anything they want these days. So it would be hilarious if they come across like a Mission Impossible three toy up on the shelf and like Tom Cruise is like in the movie for a sequence as, you know, like a Mission Impossible toy version of himself. That's what I want to see. Cool. Okay, so now the question, I mentioned this earlier. Does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie that sort of sets him off the path? Like, is he, does, does he do anything to jeopardize his role as America's dad? And I don't know that he does. I mean, this is, if, if anything, firmly entrenched in, like, old-timey days of yore. Like, remember the good old days? Like, I've always been America's dad. Like, I've always been guiding the youth of America. Yeah, right? Like, it even um, goes further back to say, like, you didn't even realize he was on TV back then giving the impression to little kids, like, what to do like eat your breakfast and you know stay in school and all those woody sort of lessons that i could imagine little kids grew up with right like i just attribute all of them to hanks <laughs> in this movie that's so yeah and it's it, like one of the things i just love about the woody characters that it's 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 so i mean kind of in contrast to what i was saying about saving private ryan earlier is that this is so he, this character is so at once perfectly tom hanks and also the most like transformatively not Tom Hanks. Of all the characters Tom Hanks has ever played, Woody is the one that I think is most disembodied from Tom Hanks. And I know, like, that's literally true because it's an animated character. But, like, that's not all... Like, when you have a, a high-profile voice voicing a cartoon character, that's not always the case. So, like, if you look at, like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld in the B movie, right? Where it's always Jerry Seinfeld. Like, it's very clearly Jerry Seinfeld the entire time because you can't escape Jerry Seinfeld's voice. The same's true of Tom Hanks, but, like, Woody is 
like both takes all of the Tom Hanksness, but somehow like transforms it into this completely separate entity that is both at once like completely Tom Hanks, but also very much its own incredibly well-realized thing and that, that's just why i just love this character so much like when i look at woody i see tom hanks but i also like firmly see this other character and and that's that's a really kind of remarkable achievement both in terms of like his performance and also just the way that the character's designed and created in general yeah acting my dear boy the magic of movies I, you know, I wish Tom Hanks had time to do more cartoon roles because, like, he's just so good. At, but then again, like, Woody might just be a once in a, you know, one, one in a million sort of phenomenon of, of the perfect sort of uh, synchronicity of, like, actor and character into into one beautiful thing. And, I, you know, to a certain extent, the same is true of Tim Allen and, and Buzz Lightyear, though. Like, it, it's just it's just so, like, a perfect marriage of actor and, and animated model. <laughs> it's just really hard to imagine that being anybody else i mean we have the two characters that tom hanks is most often associated with just in terms of frequency we've got woody and we've got robert langdon i mean two of the most famous and most well-beloved characters in american history oh what okay uh, and okay. you're going to be on all three of those movies so uh, get ready oh god i can't fucking wait i am so looking forward to watching all of them <laughs> again cool 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 all right I, I i literally spend like 15 minutes per year in my classroom explaining to my students why if they ever come across the da vinci code not to believe a word that's said in it i have to because it's one of those things that is just wonderfully especially in like the year 2003 was just so good at making people believe things were true that weren't and i'm desperately afraid that you know they'll fall into that trap at some point there was a really good Da Vinci Code burn on The Good Place where Chidi, the philosopher character, he's been in The Good Place for long enough that he has basically read everything you possibly want to read. And Eleanor, Kristen Bell's character, sees him reading The Da Vinci Code. She's like, what's up? He's like, I'm just into trash books now. Like, it's just that's the example. Like, I've read all of the all of humanity's good books. And now it's time for a Da Vinci Code. <laughs> I, I obviously will have a lot to say about all three of these movies when we when, when we get around to it. The least bad of them, the one that has like the most actual factual information is angels and demons which is which is which is something to say but like yeah i i i i will be unloading quite a bit uh <laughs> when we get there so we will get there before long all right time to do the woodies the tom hanks awards best film worst film of course best film toy story 2 best role we already have woody in toy story franchise best ensemble we already have toy story franchise best fight does woody get i mean I, fight is i'm gonna skip that one because it's, it's not really a tom hanks fight because again sort of what you were saying john where it's like it is tom hanks but it's not tom hanks and the voice work kind of separates that distinguishes a little bit dance scene party scene no outfit wardrobe we have the cowboy outfit best line do we want to nominate ride like the wind bullseye oh that is the new line right right sure okay i mean i feel like with the toy story movies we're just going to keep upgrading so we might as well sort of like upgrade and replace what we've nominated yep. too i feel like this just going to get better and better now the freak out i want to nominate though is um lucky are you shrink wrapped i am missing an arm which i feel like is a pretty <laughs> <laughs> great freak out yeah. Also, Are You Shrink Wrapped is uh, a great insult. Best soundtrack theme score, we have Toy Story franchise already there. Best love story, again, does not really have a love story in this. There's hints at a Bo Peep, but not really. These are for nominees. In the, that's what we're doing here? 
Correct. Yeah, because at the end we will do we will open this up to the public, let everybody vote on it. Uh, Mike and I will each have our own picks, but they were just sort of culling, you know, the best and the worst of these movies. And then the only other thing, the only other, because basically we knew what we were in for with the Toy Story franchise. So a lot of these either don't apply because they're not like this movie is not bad in any way. So we're not going to nominate it for the bad ones. No. And the good stuff we sort of have applied all all in all. The only thing that we want to nominate, do we want to nominate best non-Hanks actor, male or female? We have Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear. Is there somebody else that sort of rises above just the ensemble cast? In this movie? Yeah, specifically, like, in, in terms of, like, Tom Hanks' filmography as a whole, I mean, like, Jesse, maybe? Joan yeah, Cusack? I think, yeah, yeah, Joan probably Cusack's Joan Cusack. Wonderful in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. She's incredible. She definitely, like, owns this character and just, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I didn't realize, you know, first time watching this, I guess I just wasn't paying attention that it was Kelsey Grammer's Stinky Pete, but one <laughs> word out of his mouth this time, and I fucking lost it. I was laughing so hard <laughs> that it was him. Oh my god, it's Sideshow Bob. Yeah. And I think that'll do it. So yeah, so uh, great movie. Good episode, fun episode. John, thank you so much for joining us. We've got so many more Hanks for you to join. Like we were saying, all the Robert Langdon movies will be back for some more. But more specifically, more directly in our future, next week over on Cruise Club, in the off week for Hanks for the Memories, you'll be joining us for Valkyrie. Which oh, yes. It's going to be difficult to kind of get more tonally different, I guess, possibly, <laughs> from Toy Story 2 to Valkyrie. But Well, there's, there's, there's missions involved, I guess. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, secret yeah. mission. Secret mission. Yeah, it's a secret mission movie, just like Toy Story 2. But John, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to find more episodes with John, he was on all of our Matrix episodes for Keanu Club and buried deep into the Cage Club Podcast Network servers. All of the episodes that he and I did of Sports Restarters still live. Um, oh, wow. So they're not on iTunes anymore. I took them off because I had them all hosted on my Dropbox and I just have not put them back on. But uh, they're out there. So if there's a clamoring, email hanks at cageclub.me and maybe we'll put them out there. They're good episodes. They're fun episodes, both timely and sort of timeless in ways that, uh, you know, if you want to hear our Oscar predictions from the year 2014, possibly, they're there somewhere. But for all things Hanks for the Memories and all things Cruise Club and all things John Brooks, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week on our off week over on the Cruise Club feed for Valkyrie. Come back in two weeks, I mentioned earlier, for the Green Mile, the Stephen King adaptation. Check out Fridays Are For Fun, so check out High School Slumber Party, which today as this comes out, I believe it's To All the Boys I Love Before. P.S. I Still Love You, so go check that one out. 30 episodes of Hanks the Memories out now, 30 episodes of Cruise Club out now, lots of things for you to catch up on, 1,500 episodes or so in all shows at cageclub.me. Just poke around anywhere you get podcasts, lots of things for you to listen to. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was John Brooks, and we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. Woody's Roundup, right here every day. Woody's Roundup, come on, it's time to play. There's Jesse the Yodeling Cowgirl. Woody's horse. He's a smart. Pete the old prospector. And Woody the man himself. Of course, it's time for Woody's roundup. He's the very best. He's the rudeness, tootinous cowboy in the wild, wild west. What's that? Jesse and Prospector are trapped in the old abandoned mine, and Prospector just lit a stick of dynamite thinking it was a candle, and now they're about to be blown to smithereens? <laughs>